Jesus is the greatest of all. And if we have Christ, we have more than we could ever ask for or imagine. That should satisfy us in this life and cause us to live like him when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary that we may be equipped for every good work in Jesus Christ our Lord. Please tell others about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. Back to our study in the book of Hebrews. Today I'm going to pick up in verse 7 and read through verse 14 out of the Legacy Standard Bible. This is the word of the Lord. And of the angels, he says... Who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire? But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And... You, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will wear out like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? And there we have bookends to the scripture reading today. For in verse 7 we read that the angels are ministers. And then in verse 14 we read they are ministers sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So once again, as we're looking here in Hebrews 1, we see how Jesus is the greater word. That's what we had in the first four verses. Jesus is even greater than the prophets, greater than the law, for those things were pointing to him. He is therefore the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. What scripture did the Hebrews hold in highest regard? Everything that we have in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. He has come showing that all of that was types and shadows terminology. We're going to see here in the book of Hebrews, by the way, all of that was pointing to something greater. And that is Jesus Christ, the greater than all of the law and the prophets were pointing to him. He is the fulfillment of all of that. So he is the greater word. And then the section we're looking at here is that. He is even greater than the angels. These, of course, were mysterious ministering beings to the Hebrews. They knew the angels were great, but still something about them beyond compare or imagination. And yet Christ is coming. He's greater than all of that. You don't have to wander or be in mystery about the person of Christ. He has been here. Angels appearing is an occasional thing. Christ came, God incarnate, in human flesh dwelt among us, preached to us. We've heard the very word of God from Jesus Christ himself. And so we can know exact uh, the exact representation of his nature. As was said earlier in verse 3, when we look at Jesus Christ, the angels still mysterious, still beings we know so little about. We know so much more 
about Christ and his authority is even greater than they. Now, in verse seven, it says of the angels, he says that they are winds and ministers of flaming fire. That's from Psalm 104. Let me begin reading here. Psalm 104 verses one through four. Bless Yahweh. O my soul. O Yahweh, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, wrapping yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out the heavens like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He sets up the clouds to be his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes his angels the winds, his ministers flaming fire. There it is. Verse four that gets quoted in Hebrews 1 7. This simply means that God uses the angels to do his bidding. He sits enthroned above them and they do what he tells them to do. He makes his angels the winds that could also be interpreted as he makes them spirits. And that's something else we see at the end of this section in Hebrews one. Remember, they are ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So it's in verse 7, they are made spirits. He makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. Well, just as God controls all the majesty of heaven, just as we read about there, wrapping yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out the heavens, laying the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, so he is also above the angels. He has made them ministers of flaming fire. They have been made to do his bidding, what God commands them to do. So the angels do what Christ commands them to do. Therefore, he is ranked higher than they. Whatever we know or think about the angels, Christ's position is higher than even the angels. Therefore, he is not an angel himself. He is greater than the angels. So in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Already we see the contrast. The angels don't have a throne. They are ordered from the throne. It is Christ who sits on the throne. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, teasing into this verse, this Statement right here, this quotation that comes from Psalm 45, this is saying that Jesus is God of the son. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You can't come away from Hebrews one with any other conclusion than Jesus is God. That is the statement in Hebrews one. So again, as as the preacher here is going to get to encouraging his audience to persevere in the midst of hardship, of trial, of not shrinking back or falling away, but continuing to hold fast to Christ and grow in these things and mature in them, it begins with exalting Christ. He wants them to see Christ and see him as he is, as God who is enthroned above all, so that when Christ came, now he had a ministry of his own. Just because we say that the angels are ministers in flaming fire doesn't mean that Christ is not a minister. He's had a ministry. For as we see in the book of Hebrews, he has the greatest ministry. His ministry was greater than anybody else's that came before him. But we understand that he is the greatest God incarnate in human flesh who did this ministry. So there is no ministry greater than his and his ministry should be the one that we aspire to as well. He proclaimed the gospel. 
and we should want to go out and proclaim the gospel. He lived out the effects of the gospel, loving us, loving one another. And so we must also love one another as he has loved us. So the greatest ultimate example that we're looking toward is Christ, who is our king, who commands us to do these things. And so therefore we follow. So his throne for he is God is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And I mentioned earlier about a scepter, meaning that it is the it is the tool of a king, the one who holds the scepter, the one who positions the scepter a certain way. He is the one who makes laws, who grants something to one person or takes away from another. And so this is Christ who sits enthroned above all. But every decision that he makes as king is always, always good. Those things that have been foreordained from before the foundation of the world, God has foreordained them in goodness. The uprightness of his scepter by which he guides and orders his kingdom. Same passage of scripture continues on in verse nine. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions So it's saying here, Jesus is God and also your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. So we have a statement of the father and of the son here. Now, this is being quoted from Psalm 45, and it's beginning in verse six that we read the following. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. Your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments you have made glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. And so as this is referring to Christ, we know, according to what is said here in Hebrews 1, that this statement in Psalm 45 is referring to Jesus. His throne is forever and ever. He who has uh, he who is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He has the throne of David, which is established forever and ever. That was what God said in this covenant to David in Second Samuel, chapter seven. So he sits on this throne forever forever. He has a scepter of uprightness. He has loved righteousness and hated wickedness. In fact, there was never a person on this earth who loved righteousness more so than Christ and hated wickedness more so than Christ. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy or the oil of gladness as it comes out here in the uh, in the Septuagint as being quoted in Hebrews 1, with the oil of joy above your companions. So even there in Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. That must have been truly confusing to many Hebrews 3,000 years ago when that particular psalm was written. But whatever mystery was wrapped in that, has become revealed in Jesus Christ, who shows us the Father. And therefore, we know it was referring to Christ, whose throne is forever and ever. And the God who has anointed him is the Father. God has anointed God with the oil of joy 
above his companions. Now, the oil of joy or the oil of gladness, it may not necessarily mean that he's been anointed with joy or with gladness. Anointing was symbolic of having chosen a king. Remember that when Saul was chosen king of Israel, he was anointed by Samuel. When David was chosen as his successor, he was anointed by Samuel. So that anointing, that is, that is a, uh, a choosing of a king. And so Christ being king is therefore anointed. The oil of gladness doesn't mean gladness is being poured out on him, but that we rejoice. We have joy in knowing that Christ is our king. The kingdom rejoices when a king has been chosen. And so as Christ is the one who sits enthroned above all, and as he is the one who uh, has accomplished forgiveness of sins that we read back in verse three, he has accomplished cleansing for sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Therefore, we rejoice for in Christ, our sins are forgiven He reigns enthroned above all. We don't need to be in mystery as to who is in control of all of this. Christ, the one who has conquered death, sits enthroned above all. Therefore, we rejoice. And knowing that because he has risen from the dead, we will rise also. We who have faith in him and we will reign with him forever as co-heirs, as fellow heirs of this eternal kingdom where he sits enthroned forever and ever. That knowing that about the ministry of Christ, fills us with great joy. He has loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, and so likewise, we must do the same. We must love his righteousness and walk in it. If we're followers of Christ, Scripture tells us we've been clothed in his righteousness, and so we must live righteously as Jesus did. And living righteously means that we hate lawlessness. We hate those things that are opposed to the law of God. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 3, do we therefore overthrow the law by our faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the law of God through which Christ governs all things. He has ordered all things. And so as his followers in his kingdom, we delight to obey his commands. Because Christ perfectly kept the law, he is therefore our righteousness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Similar to what we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, that because Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now about this statement, uh, above your companions, what does that mean? With the oil of gladness, he's been anointed with the oil of gladness above your companions. It means he's king of kings and lord of lords. That's what that means. So he is a king higher than every other king. He is Lord over every other Lord. So he has the oil of this anointing having been seated and enthroned above others who are who would therefore call themselves king or Lord. Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 10. We have another Old Testament reference here. And you, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth 
We've already talked about a lot of these things here with regard to Christ being creator of all things, as we had considered that in verses two and three. So in the beginning, you founded the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain and they will all wear out like a garment and like a mantle. You will roll them up like a garment. They also will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. These two references that we've read here in verses eight and nine, and then in verses 10 through 12, speak of Christ's eternality. He was from the beginning. He is to the end. As Christ describes himself in the book of Revelation, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He has no beginning and has no end is another way of saying that. It doesn't mean that that he was the very start of all things and he's not going to disappear until all other things disappear. No, as we know, he has no end. Therefore, he has no beginning. Christ is eternal. As I mentioned yesterday, though, his incarnation has a definite beginning a couple thousand years ago when he was born of a virgin. But as the son of God, as co-equal with the father and with the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, he is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning and therefore no end. Jesus even saying in his high priestly prayer in John 17 that he shared glory with the father before all things were created. So if we ever wonder what what were the father and the son and the Holy Spirit doing together before God made all things? Well, they gloried with one another is what they did. And in fact, here's the amazing thing about that. We are invited to share in that glory which we will have with him forever in his eternal kingdom. So whatever God was doing among himself, a community unto himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whatever he was doing from eternity past before anything was made, we get to see and observe and be part of that when we enter into his eternity at the end of our short life here on earth. We will get to glory with him in that eternal praise. And that's by no means boring. (laughs) That's not uh, donning angel wings and a halo and sitting on a cloud and strumming a harp. We read about it in Revelation. We get hints of it. The huge praise chorus that's going on with people from every single nation around the throne singing the praises of Christ, our king. We get a glimpse of eternity there in Revelation, but not even the half has been told. It's going to be incredible when we get there glorying in our maker and our savior. So once again, the statement in verse 10, he founded the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. As I said yesterday, if Christ is the creator of all things, he therefore cannot himself be created or else he would not be the creator of all things because he was someone or something that was created. Christ, the son is eternal just as the father is eternal. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain and they will all wear out like a garment and like a mantle. You will roll them up. We see once again, Christ's reign and his control over all things that have been made and also his judgment over everything that has been made like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Uh, Right now with my Sunday school class, we're going through 1 Corinthians, and we're going to get to chapter 15 where the Apostle Paul talks about our being changed 
We will be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, we will become something different. Right now, we live in the physical, in the finite. We are transient. But when we enter the eternal, we will be changed. The mortal will put on immortality. While we will be changed, Christ remains the same. And it's later on in Hebrews that we read, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his years will not come to an end. That's a comfort for us. When we understand that we will rise again and reign with Christ and that reign will never come to an end. We will dwell with him forever in his eternal kingdom. Though these bodies will die, though we will die on this side of heaven, when we get to him in our next state, we live forever where there's no more corruption, no more sin, no more evil, no more sickness, no more dying As it says in Revelation, every tear will be wiped away. He will dry the tears from our eyes. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool under your feet? That is from Psalm 110, right at the beginning. Yahweh says to my Lord, here we have God speaking to God again, right? Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your song scepter from Zion, saying, Have dominion in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power, in the splendor of holiness. From the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youthfulness will be yours. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And as you might know, that comes up again later on here in the book of Hebrews. But for now, we understand this rhetorical question that's being asked. To which of the angels was it ever said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool under your feet? The answer, none of them. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. We know this is Christ. He is God, God incarnate, the God man who came in flesh to dwell among us, live a perfect life, die the death that we deserve to die. The wrath of God poured out upon him on the cross, which he took for us, was buried in a tomb, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven where he is seated at his right hand. All who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And finally, verse 14, this is in reference to the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So the angels serve us. We who will inherit salvation by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's from that question right there that we launch into the rest of the letter, understanding that salvation comes from Christ and therefore as his servants and as his co-heirs of his eternal kingdom, we must understand the things that are going to come in the next 12 chapters. And my friends, I hope that it is a comfort to you knowing that Christ reigns. He who died for our sins and rose again from the dead, and reigns enthroned in heaven above. He is in control of all things. And so that gives you comfort and peace. And that it convicts your heart even to turn from sin and the ways of this world and walk in the righteousness that he has and has given to us. 
So turn from these things and do not despair the activity that you see going on in the world, but hold fast to Christ and the promise of his kingdom and all the things that we need will be added to us as well. He does love us and care for us. And we know that when we look at the cross, he died for us. So be encouraged in these days, have courage in these days that we would live for him and proclaim his gospel to the praise of his glorious grace. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up a study of this first chapter of Hebrews, I pray that we see Christ in a mighty way and be filled with a desire to serve and follow him. We have peace within our hearts, a peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, guarding guarding us from despair, guarding us from the ways of this world that we may be fully devoted unto Christ as we live in these present days. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. For more about our ministry, visit us online at www.utt.com.